0: events here on on Mondays at St. Mike's. For the last 10 months, Bradley has led an event at Trinity downtown every second Tuesday as a way of addressing the anxiety many of us have felt in response to the political turmoil that has seemed ever present this past Tuesday, I had the pleasure of speaking on a panel with Radley and others on Trinity. It was a continuation of a panel, actually, that happened two months ago. And uh, Kathy was on that panel, speaking about forgiveness. Forgiveness in this time of uh, turmoil. At the end of the evening, there was a Q&A forum. And the last question of the night came from an older man who asked... In these times of uncertainty and injustice, is there a limit to forgiveness? It's a great question and a timely one. It means a lot to who and what we are as Christians in America in 2017. It's essentially the same question we get from Peter today. Peter asks, how often should I forgive? Seven times? Clearly he's like, not seven times. That's that's too much. But Jesus answers, not seven times. But I tell you, seventy-seven times might sound exhausting to some of us. But it is a vision of forgiveness in abundance. In the very next breath, Jesus gives us a parable that drastically complicates this statement. Let's unpack it a bit. First of all, what is this parable about? What does Jesus say it describes? The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom. Not the way to get ahead, not common sense, not even righteousness. This story is about the nature of heaven, the state of being in which we find our deepest and truest selves here, now, and always. Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to a king who is settling accounts, seeking economic justice. And he begins with his slaves. As compassionate people, seeking to make a love-spreading difference in this world, it can be hard for us to hear this word, slave. It's particularly challenging to hear that word associated with the divine, with love eternal. But we know that healing requires that we bring our awareness to the history of slavery in our country, in our context, so that we may transform the present future by acknowledging our past. Our economy, our culture, our stories, our struggles continue to be linked to the history of slavery. While we here in Santa Barbara might be tempted to pass the baton of culpability to others, saying that was a bunch of other folks in the South a long time ago. We must remember the glass house by the beach in which we live. The mission, the cornerstone of our local culture and economy, was built by Chumash slaves. All throughout California, 300,000 Native peoples speaking 80 distinct languages were nearly wiped away in the construction of the Golden State. And in order to begin the process of healing around the history of slavery in our land, we must acknowledge those histories over and over and over again. With that awareness... With that compassion, let's return to the parable. Slavery in, G- in the times of Jesus was different from the southern plantation or the missions founded by Hunu Asura. It was much more like indentured servitude than commodity possession. Slaves interacted with their masters financially. They, could have, they have children, they have possessions, they borrow from their masters, and they could buy their freedom. In that context, this king is going around trying to set everyone in his purview straight to settle tabs, to lighten their load. The very first person the king comes to is a slave who owes the king $10,000. Talent. It's a unit of weight. It's a form of measuring weight. A talent of silver or maybe a talent of gold would be roughly equivalent to 16 years' wages. One talent, 16 years of wages. Let's dork out on some math just for a second. Minimum wage is an hour. Most people work about 40 hours a week. Gives us an annual salary of $15,080 times 16 per talent is $241,280 per talent times 10,000. In other words, this debt is $2,500,000,000 crazy money. Bill Gates' money, right? This is like Facebook. This is, this, is, this is just a ridiculous amount of money. And what does the king do? The lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. What? Two million dollars of debt? Forgiven? Forgotten? Wiped away? Jesus says, this is, is the kingdom of heaven. This is what justice looks like in the context of grace. Gigantic, absurd, ridiculous debts gone. However big your debts feel with God, they are forgiven. Imagine that for a second. Student debts, mortgage, new car, (laughs) car payment, insurance, health bills, every expense you've ever had in your life, gone. (laughs) Pretty nice. It's pretty deep freedom. It's freedom. It is amazing. It is an amazing grace. A lot of you probably know that Amazing Grace was written by a former slave trader. The man's name was John Newton. Newton had been pressed or conscripted into the British Navy, which is a little like being drafted, except for the, the Navy just comes and like grabs you off the street, and you're like, you're in the Navy now. <laughs> this Navy career, this life abroad at sea, led fairly naturally for him into the slave trade in his times. But Newton had a massive conversion experience after surviving a near shipwreck off the coast of Ireland, and he eventually became an Anglican priest who engaged the abolitionist cause and later penned Amazing Grace to support a sermon he gave around New Year's of 1773 based on his experiences of indebtedness, enslavement, and freedom. Amazing Grace is one of the most famous and identifiable songs in the English language. A song of liberation and joy to millions upon millions. John Newton took his liberation and he liberated others. But the slave in this parable did not. Despite being freed from slavery and forgiven an immense, ridiculous, monopoly money debt, the slave went out and chased down those who owed him money. He sent his fellow slave to prison to make sure he got the money he deserved. Man. Because he had been forgiven, we expect... The slave to pass it on. The forgiven slave was empowered to forgive. But he did not. Why not? Now that he was free, maybe the former slave felt the pressure to support his family. Who knows? Whatever the case may be, he did not pass along the grace he received because he didn't feel free. We all know the pressures of money. We all have that struggle, some of us more than others. So many folks are oppressed by money and finances. The cycle of poverty just seems to dig some people deeper and deeper in debt. And face in the face of that poverty, many people seek guidance from like financial self-help gurus. Have you guys seen these guys? Online, they're schlepping some books, some like easy way to get out of it. As a priest, these gurus give me the heebie jeebies, not only because they seem to profit off the poor, but also because they're selling idolatry. Happiness is freedom from financial burdens. Not true. As Steve Earle wrote in the song we sing sometimes, (laughs) even my money keeps telling me it's God I need to trust. (laughs) That said, occasionally there are some truths in what those advisors say. One of those gurus, Dave Ramsey, says that there are three things you can do with money. Spend, save, and give. Give. Those are all good things in their own way, but Ramsey correctly identifies giving as the highest virtue. How great is giving? Amazing. It's incredible. The ability to give to others, it takes us out of our own struggles, our fight or flight response, and makes us feel like we are part of something much greater. Imagine what it would be like if you were radically empowered to give. Imagine if you had $100,000 to give away. Like you had to give it away. You left here with $100,000 you had to do. What would you do with it? Think how great it would feel to have that sort of generosity. You would be empowered to give. Just like the king in the parable, you could transform Someone's life. This week, I got a I got a letter um, from a woman named Marilyn Gonzalez. Uh, Marilyn was writing to thank me for one of the reflections I wrote in that like, like devotional thing I told you guys about that I wrote for August. Um, on my last day, I wrote this thing about there's a there's a, a piece in, in in the last at the end of the Last Supper. The disciples all get together and they sing a hymn and then they go out to the garden. And I wrote. Uh, in response to that first I engaged us all in the hymn of just breathing together that day that simple hymn of breathing together well, Meryl Ann Gonzalez had grown up a singer but she had become paralyzed and unable to, to use her vo- voice at all so she wrote me thanking her for the opportunity to sing again. And she is now writing to other people who are in her condition, who are unable to sing, and inviting them to sing the song of breathing together with her. She's sending this all over the country. She sent me one of the mock-up letters that she's sending. This little gift she received is now spreading and going out. She's giving it to others, including me. Giving money is a great thing. It's very important. As a small church, we depend on your financial generosity here. But the currency of God, the currency of the kingdom, is grace. Or as the band Wilco put it, our love is all of God's money. You may not have $100,000 to give away, but you have something more valuable. You have the grace of God. You have your love. In a time where scarcity dominates the headlines and permeates daily life, you are empowered to give You can give your time, your attention, your compassion. Give your story, your experience, your perspective. Give your skills, your talent, your gifts. Give your failures, your fears, your heart, your prayers, your hope, your presence. Give what you have learned, you teachers. Give to the students coming to this campus for the first time. Give to the houseless who have called Isla Vista home for longer than I've been alive. Give to the planet that gives you life. Give until the giving reminds you how much you have been given. Because giving can transform the world and transform you. Giving love is different than giving material possessions. Love is not a commodity. In giving your love, you do not impoverish yourself. Quite the opposite. It is only in holding back love that we miss out. We miss the opportunity to be our full selves, a neighbor and God, our full selves. But if you're feeling empty, if you've given your all and turned up empty, go back to the well. The source, that immeasurably generous ground of our being that works continually to free us all. If you're feeling empty, give that emptiness to the eternal mystery made known in the one who gave up everything that we might know the depths of grace Amen